You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, welcome, everyone. Well, it's Monday, and that means it is time to get fired up about the political machine here in the United States. Welcome to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This is Steve. I host the show each week, and I'm happy to have all of you all join me. Uh, we've got a jam-packed show for this week, so let's jump right into the deep end, all right? As always, we start off with our number review on the COVID uh, pandemic here in the United States. Uh, currently, we're up to 35.7 million reported cases uh, with 616,000 uh, deaths having been reported and a total of 349 million people or roughly 58% of the population have received at least one uh, dose of the COVID vaccine and that's a good sign. Uh, we are getting closer and closer to getting that magic majority number that we need in order to help drive this pandemic uh, down into the dirt. So let's keep up that good work. Let's make sure we keep up with our personal health precautions, masking, social distancing, and hygiene. And uh, let's continue on. We've got a couple of stories related to COVID. Uh, COVID has become the dominant news story uh, pretty much across the board even though there's a lot of other political news going on, everybody seems to be talking about COVID these days. So why should we be any different? Hmm? All right. So uh, coming out of where else but Florida, um, you know, there's uh, still a peak surge going on there. They continue to break their daily case records day over day over day. And uh, tied to that, there is, as we mentioned in last week's show, uh, a new coronavirus mutation known as the Lambda variant. Uh, I brought this up on last week's show as something to keep an eye on. Well, what we're seeing is that this Lambda variant, uh, which was first uncovered in Peru back in November of 2020, so this new variant which showed up in Peru uh, has turned out for that country to be a very, very dangerous with more than 595 COVID-19 deaths per 100,000 people, which ranks it as the highest in the world. Uh, Peru using the Chinese vaccine known as Sinopharm, uh, which has a 79% effectiveness at preventing hospitalizations. Compare that with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are 94% effective against hospitalization. Since uh, being uh, discovered in Peru, the variant, uh, the Lambda variant, has spread to eight countries in South America and 41 countries around the world. And right here in the U.S., there are currently more than 1,300 Lambda cases uh, reported in the U.S. as of the 4th of August. And the variant itself has been identified in 44 states. Uh, the the uh, variant seems to be a lot more infectious than previous variants, including Delta. Uh, fortunately, right now it is still at a low, uh, low volume, but we know from past experience how that can change drastically in a very short period of time. Uh, 
So, you know, there, there are some, you know, big concerns, as I mentioned last week, and, and we continue to keep an eye on this, that this Lambda variant uh, could be the next in line for a potential COVID surge here in this country. So we will, as I said, keep an eye on this, and we will keep bringing you updates as they, they happen, as they show up on the news front, and let you know uh, what uh, recommendations are coming out of the science and health communities with regard to this new variant. Just a couple of more quick points about this Lambda variant. Although it, at this point, does not seem likely that it will spread as widely as the Delta variant has, However, that doesn't downplay the risk for it creating more uh, confirmed cases in, in this country. Right now, it's accounting for less than 0.2% of new COVID cases. And you can contrast that with data from the CDC that says the Delta variant now accounts for 93% of new cases. So, you know, while currently not as, as uh, troublesome as the Delta variant is, uh, it also means that, you know, if we learned anything from what happened with Delta, that, you know, we can't sleep on this. We need to make sure that we are following the guidance that we get from the medical and scientific communities and making sure that we are proactively protecting ourselves, uh, including getting the vaccine, which, as I said earlier, uh, does show to be highly effective at preventing hospitalization due to the Lambda variant. So, as I said, we will keep you posted on this, um, but you know, put it into your, into your action plans that if you have not already been vaccinated, uh, the emergence of this Lambda, vac uh, Lambda variant may want to have you rethink that strategy. So we'll, we'll keep you up to date on it. Uh, just you know, stick with us here at Fired Up Radio and uh, we'll let you know what's going on. So one of the other things, and, and I've mentioned this in, in uh, the past couple of shows, uh, something we've seen emerge uh, with a lot more coverage in the media than we had in the past. Uh, what we're seeing is more and more reports of individuals who were you know, vaccine resistors uh, or vaccine hesitant and, you know, in addition, may or may not have been uh, against mask wearing protocols and so forth, uh, that some of these individuals are, are now doing these intensive care uh, uh, located interviews with media uh, expressing their regret at not, you know, perhaps taking the, the Delta variant more seriously and, and exercising the precautions that had been advised. Uh, and, you know, nowhere does this seem to be more of a problem than in the state of Louisiana, uh, where they're reporting that demand for the coronavirus vaccines in the state of Louisiana has quadrupled over the past two weeks. Uh, the state, which is one of the least vaccinated in the U.S., uh, is, is literally being ravaged by the Delta variant. Uh, you know, people in Louisiana who previously avoided getting coronavirus vaccines are now clamoring for shots uh, over fears of the Delta variant. Uh, and, you know, it, it, as I said, uh, Reuters analysis showed that Louisiana ranked 47th out of all states for the number of first doses given. And according to a New York Times report, 
demand uh, for the uh, coronavirus vaccine has, as I said, quadrupled. And, you know, the news, you know, is, is full of these, these stories of these people who are, you know, in the hospital, on a ventilator, uh, and now, you know, have, you know, much regret for not taking the warnings more seriously earlier uh, and, you know, just saying that it's not going to affect me or, or some other method of denial and so forth. Well, you know, here you are now, you're, you're in the ICU, you're on a ventilator, and I'm sorry that you are, are suffering with the COVID uh, disease. Um, and the lesson that the rest of us could learn from this, and as we're seeing in Louisiana, is that maybe we ought to take the idea of getting vaccinated and practicing the recommendations from the medical and scientific community uh, more seriously. Uh, one of the headlines I saw in researching, you know, this this segment uh, kind of put it, you know, succinctly, but to the point and it simply stated uh, vaccine or ventilator, you decide. So I, I think that's, you know, kind of the, the, the battle cry we need to take and, you know, let people know that we care about that, you know, if you don't want to get vaccinated, if you don't want to practice the protocols that have been, you know, blasted out from from the the authorities uh, for the last year and a half, uh, you know, go look at some of these articles, go read these stories about people with these regrets who are now struggling uh, with the COVID disease, some of which are, you know, are not having, you know, success in their struggle and end up succumbing to the disease. Although, you know, there, there are more people who uh, do come through it and, and, you know, go forward from there. However, you know, you, why take that gamble? Um, you know, it, it's clear that those that are vaccinated, even if they are one of the small, small micro percentages of people who have a breakthrough infection with covid uh, more and more reports that are being aired and, and, and broadcast talk about how this is really, um, you know, a, a, a illness uh, akin to a bad cold and not the devastating, life-threatening disease that we saw this time last year uh, when we were seeing, you know, 200,000 new cases a day. Um, even even in the current spike, we're we're still at something a little more than half of that peak level we saw back in the end of last year in December and so forth. But that being said, why take the risk? You know, if if you know people in your circle, if your loved ones are you know refusing to to accept the vaccine, refusing to believe the facts that are placed there before them. You know, show them these articles, you know, have them listen to these interviews of these people who were diehard, you know, anti-vax, anti-mask people who now, you know, almost to a person are saying, I wish I had listened to the guidance and gotten the shot or wore my mask or followed the guidance. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be here suffering with this disease. So just food for thought. Uh, something to put into, you know, into the mix and into your conversations.
And finally, because we know that anything going out there, um, you know, of relevance in the world, or in the U.S. rather, has to be politically infected. Um, and COVID is, you know, no different from any of that, as we've seen over the last, you know, year and a half, two years. Over that time, we've seen any number of uh, made-up political stories or political-based uh, opinions that have been attributed to, you know, members on both the right and the left uh, by both the right and the left uh, as we've, we've you know, proceeded through this pandemic. And the latest one here is, you know, that uh, some of the far-right uh, anti-vaxxer uh, supporters have been falsely accusing uh, the president uh, Joe Biden specifically of trying to force all U.S. residents to get vaccinated for COVID-19, whether they like it or not. Now, you know, this narrative has gained some traction in the broader media, but you know, if you go out and fact check it, you'll find that Biden never uh, said that he wants the government to require all citizens to be vaccinated. Now, he has encouraged voluntary, keyword there, voluntary vaccination for the general population. Although, you know, he is in, in, in also stressed that, you know, the, the logic of the more Americans that get vaccines, the sooner the United States will start getting back to normal. So, you know, that being said, um, you know, there, there was an, an article that was published or was written by uh, attorney Chris Truax. And this was posted on the conservative website, The Bulwark, back on August 5th. Uh, he bluntly slams anti-vaxxers for prolonging the pandemic in the U.S., uh, as well as, you know, humorously attacking uh, the, those views. Um, you know, and it just goes to say, as I was saying, politics... Uh, ultimately seems to infect everything in this country, uh, including an infectious disease uh, that, you know, just perpetrate and generate these, these stories that are, you know, made up out of whole cloth uh, that have no basis in fact. Um, you know, in, in they, they will, will grab a quote from an individual, and I'll give you an example, um, Larry Cosman, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, was quoted as saying, forcing people to undertake a medical procedure is not the American way and is a clear civil rights violation, no matter how proponents may seek to justify it, close quote. And to that, you know, Truex comments, and, and I concur, that that statement just is patently uh, misleading, patently false. All right. If if you have a school age child uh, in this country, every year as parents, you know, and I know that you have to go to your pediatrician, your child's pediatrician. They need to get vaccinated, and you need to present proof of that vaccination to the school district in order for your child to attend school. Now, that is a de facto uh, state, uh, local, state, 
and, and in some cases federal education requirement that children be vaccinated for the common childhood diseases, you know, uh, the flu, measles, mumps, et cetera, et cetera, uh, prior to them returning to school each year. And this has been going on for half a century. This has been going on for 50 years. All right. And, you know, it, to, to state that the federal government uh, is, quote, forcing people to undergo this treatment, um, you know, that it is a violation of rights and so forth is just not true. It is something that has been accepted in this country for decades. And it's part of the reason that measles, uh, German measles, you know, mumps, and these you know, so-called chickenpox, remember chickenpox? Uh, these so-called diseases are, are relegated to almost non-existent status in this country because we have this aggressive vaccination program that targets our school-aged children every year. So, you know, the, the people who argue against vaccines saying that they don't have a benefit need only go back and remember their own childhood to realize that, you know, their benefit uh, totally exists because these vaccines were required. Prior to these, you know, go back in your history. Prior to these vaccines being a requirement, measles, mumps, chicken pox, these were all deadly diseases. Um, you know, the measles had a, a significant death rate. And one I've forgotten to mention is polio. Polio, a crippling disease that, you know, ravaged, you know, countries around the world until a vaccine was created that allowed us to defeat that disease and, and turn it from a, a uh, disease that killed, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of children and people around the world every year uh, to a, a disease that, you know, kills hundreds, maybe, you know, a few thousand people in the world in, in, the, in the span of a year. So, you know, it, it's another one of those cases where uh, the facts don't back up the rhetoric, you know. And I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day. And of course, you know, you can't talk with someone for five minutes without the subject of coronavirus and vaccines and vaccinations come up. And this person who had not gotten a vaccine because they, they don't believe that that it is. Uh, 100% safe. And, you know, I, I chuckled at it and, and I kind of said, well, nothing is 100% safe. Uh, you know, if, if, you know, you get on a, an airplane, air travel is the safest form of transportation in the world. But still, there are people that are killed in plane crashes. Uh, you know, automobiles are, you know, 10 times as safe as they were 20, 30, 40 years ago, but still people die every day in automobile accidents. There is nothing that is 100% safe all the time. But I, I digress there. Um, and getting back to the article, one of the, the things he points out, and, and again, this is uh, Mr. Truax, uh, you know, there is clearly 
no question that states and school districts have the legal authority to demand that school children be vaccinated. So, you know, mandatory vaccinations are not a civil rights violation. Uh, they're like, you know, <laughs> number, number three on the list of things to do that your parents and mine had stuck on the door of the refrigerator uh, as the, the school year approached. Um, you know, and, and finally, you know, he adds uh, these two points. Um, as I was just saying, vaccines work. Are they absolutely 100% crystal clear perfect? No. Uh, there are going to be breakthrough infections. They will be less severe than full-blown infections that we're seeing from the unvaccinated. Um, you know, just like everything else, there is no 100% safety. All right. But what he does stress and, and you know, closes out his argument this way is that we, and he uses the term normals, should not allow 28% of the population to keep us in a permanent COVID twilight when real freedom is just within reach. Uh, he says, and he, he states this, and I agree, being, being a, a fairly frequent traveler, I'm willing to put up with a lot during a genuine national crisis. But he says he's not willing to spend six hours on an airplane wearing a mask because some supporter of the former president wants to own the libs, quote, quote, by not getting vaccinated. Uh, so, you know, just, and, and we'll, we'll close it on this. And he writes, you think the anti-vaxxers are riled up about new mask mandates? Just wait until the rest of us find out that schools won't be able to open in September because of a surging Delta variant caused by anti-vaxxers who don't believe in getting vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, I, I will say that's a little bit severe, but it is not outside of the realm of possibility. And, you know, I do agree with the point that the those of us and we're now a majority of the population who have been vaccinated, who have these protections against, you know, COVID-19, uh, we need to stop being the silent majority here and, you know, exercise, you know, our influence around our circles and get people around us um, to to get vaccinated, to take this pandemic seriously at long last after, you know, 630 something million people have died. Um, I'm sorry, 616,000 people have died. And, you know, 30, 35 million people have been infected. Uh, you know, we we need to up the pressure to to get people in our communities and in our circles uh, to be compliant. You know, if we do, if we manage to get, you know, the 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 larger majority of people, if we manage to push that percentage number from 58 percent to 68 or 70 percent um you know a as has happened in great britain 69 percent of their people are are vaccinated uh against covid 69 percent um if we get to that you know we could be back into what is closer to a normal life in you know in a month and a half in two months where you know we could be more social we could be out and about businesses could be back open schools would be back open 
uh, it's clearly on us to to drive the change we want to see in the broader society. And by us, I mean those of us who are vaccinated. Uh, we need to take it as a call to action to to have wide and broad conversations, discussions, you know, targeted, you know, uh, um, messaging going out. We need to use our social media. We need to talk about the benefits of being able to go to a movie theater and not wear a mask. You know, frankly, it's hard to eat popcorn through a mask. Uh, so, you know, there are a whole range of things that the vaccinated can be doing to try and drive more people to come to the life-saving uh, decision that they need to get vaccinated, that they need to, to follow the guidance in order for us to, to starve this pandemic uh, out of existence in our country. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? You know, let, let, let's have a discussion on it. I mean, this, this is too big a subject just to, to have a, a one-sided uh, conversation with me expressing, you know, my opinions. What are your opinions? Send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Let me know what you think. Uh, if you are pro-vaccination, uh, you know, tell me, you know, give me some ideas as to what uh, helps you decide to do it. If you are anti-vaccine, I really want to hear from you. I really want to get a perspective on why people uh, refuse to get vaccination uh, when the numbers, when the empirical evidence uh, shows that there is major benefit to being vaccinated. So, you know, as I said, an email Fired up radio at yahoo.com, and uh, we will we will look to see your comments and have a discussion about them here on the show. So let, let's take our break here. Uh, we will come back right after the break and pick it up with some more political news. This is Steve. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined, and we'll be right back after the break. I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Because even though not all of us risk a severe case of coronavirus, we all risk getting it and spreading it to others, maybe without even realizing that we're sick. So if we wanna get back to school, back to work, back to worship, and back to overall health. There are things our country needs to do. We need to follow state and local guidelines, take extra precautions if at higher risk, wash our hands frequently, stay six feet from others when we can, and when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. Produced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at taxpayer expense. And we're back. We're back right here with Fired Up on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. And let's get into the second half of the show, and let's move into, you know, pure politics, which is what this show is supposed to be about, even though the COVID pandemic has sort of turned it into a health show. But I really uh, am... You know, keen on speaking about the political machine in this country. 
And uh, over the last week, uh, there's been a lot of news talking about uh, the, the CDC eviction moratorium that expired uh, at the end of last month and the outcry that ensued when the Biden administration uh, didn't extend it or in, in, in any other way uh, seek to help protect uh, renters and homeowners who were you know, economically hit by the COVID pandemic, which is still going on, by the way. You know, we, we are moving in some areas of the country back to a more normal-like uh, operation. However, there are still millions of people who are uh, unemployed and, you know, struggling from an economic standpoint uh, to pay their rent or to pay their mortgages. And, you know, in response to that last year, the CDC instituted a moratorium on evictions uh, for those that were impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Well, that uh, moratorium uh, expired uh, at the end of July, and you know the Biden administration uh, really dropped the ball here, uh, and you know did not put any kind of proactive action uh, to extend it, or you know to in 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 other ways you know offer some type of olive branch to those uh, homeowners and renters out there who are still, you know, impacted by, you know, COVID-19. And, you know, the, the latest update in the story is that um, the, the White House uh, and the administration uh, has, in fact, uh, uh, taken what some are calling a last-ditch effort to protect renters. And, you know, it... it it seems that they they finally woke up and got the message that hey you know there are millions of people as many as 11 million Americans who you know are 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 at risk of being made homeless uh, simply because the pandemic uh, had such a deep impact on our economic condition and our jobs condition and they weren't able literally to afford to pay their rent and, you know, feed their families and do all the other things. So, you know, the, the White House, uh, according to an article that came out of MarketWatch, and this article was posted uh, on August 7th, and uh, the White House, you know, as the article says, the White House threw another life preserver to renters uh, this week, but many could find themselves still drowning in a sea of legal trouble despite the Biden administration's effort. So, you know, on Tuesday, the CDC issued a new moratorium on evictions that is set to last through the beginning of October. The measure is targeted to renters who live in areas of the country that are seeing more pronounced levels of COVID-19 transmission. Put a pin in that point. We're going to come back to that. Uh, the moratorium, according to the article, uh, is the right thing to do to keep people in their homes and out of congregate settings where COVID-19 disease spreads. And this is according to Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC. And she's quoted, it's imperative that public health authorities act quickly to mitigate such an increase in evictions 
which could increase the likelihood of new spikes in SARS-CoV-2 transmission. Such mass evictions and the attendant public health consequences would be very difficult to reverse. So the, the idea here is, and the thinking here, is that by having people evicted from their apartments and from their homes and being forced into you know, shelters and other uh, communal-type living arrangements uh, merely creates a new uh, Petri dish for the spread of the COVID-19 vac- uh, disease. So the article uh, talks about uh, research that shows that higher rates of eviction promote the spread of the virus uh, that causes COVID-19 since people often end up living in more crowded conditions when forced out of their homes. Uh, you know, so there, there is definitely a, a medical um, issue here that you're taking people from relatively safe havens of their, their own home where you know, they can be you know, isolated from, from high levels of risk of contracting the disease and putting them into a more public setting where that risk becomes even greater. So, you know, it, it's, it's a, a positive move. However, it is still something that a, the Biden administration is getting, you know, some criticism about besides just the fact that, you know, they, they allowed the moratorium to literally elapse before, you know, getting on the bandwagon to reinstate it under the CDC's new rules. Uh, consumer advocates are arguing that the Biden administration's new moratorium continues to miss the mark in adequately protecting struggling renters across the country. And Eric Tars, a legal director of the National Homelessness Law Center, said it is not just going to introduce a new level of uncertainty. Uh, it is going to exploit uh, existing gaps in the moratorium that were not addressed under the previous version. So, you know, what they cite here is that um, the first moratorium issued by the CDC in September, uh, you know, under the Trump administration, and they cite that loopholes uh, exist uh, in the order that landlords could exploit. Uh, In particular, the new moratorium, like the one that preceded it, only prohibits evictions on the basis of non-payment of rent. Evictions pursued for other reasons, including criminal activity or other lease violations, can continue under the new CDC order as before. Uh, and, you know, it, it's quoting uh, Sarah Sadian, vice president of public policy for the National Low Income Housing Coalition, that landlords just are very clever in finding out ways to exploit that loophole get around it, and still evict people from their homes. What we found under the last moratorium is that landlords uh, finding ways to exploit the loophole uh, and, you know, that they have already uh, evicted some people under these existing loopholes, and their fear is that even more people will be evicted uh, under, you know, whatever other loopholes are there, even to the extent that some of that is a, a, a stretch legally. Now, let, let's be both clear and fair here. Um, this, this problem is not just a problem 
of tenants uh, being evicted, uh, there are, you know, thousands, if, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands of landlords and building owners across the country who are, are suffering real economic impact from the fact that, you know, their tenants are not paying their monthly rents or mortgage. Uh, and, you know, as, as cited in this article from MarketWatch, uh, David Howard, executive director of the National Rental Home Council, told MarketWatch in an email, email, shame on me for assuming the moratorium would not be extended after the president announced he has no legal authority to do so, nor was Congress able to pass legislation to do so. Meanwhile, rental home property owners have lost billions of dollars they will never recover. Another major concern is that the order does not address what happens to struggling tenants when their leases expire. Given that the pandemic has now lasted for well over a year, many households at risk of eviction could be in this position. These issues were left unaddressed by the new order. So, you know, there, there's clearly some issues here that have not yet been addressed either by the efforts from the White House in reestablishing the moratorium or through Congress and you know passing some type of legislation that would institute a, a broader, more comprehensive protection for both tenants and landlords. Um, you know, the, the, the question is much more tricky than just don't let landlords evict people who lost their income due to COVID from their apartments or their homes. Uh, you know, one of the, the points that the article makes is determining who qualifies uh, isn't really straightforward. And it states that as before, the protections of the moratorium aren't automatic. Instead, renters must sign declarations to their landlords stating that they cannot afford to pay the rent and that they are attempting to receive assistance. And now they must also attest that they qualify based on the risk of COVID-19 transmission in their area. The new moratorium is more targeted than the blanket prohibition that was in place previously, according to the details released late Tuesday by the Centers for D Disease Control and Prevention. It only applies to counties experiencing, quote, substantial and high levels of community transmission levels of the virus that causes COVID-19, the CDC said. Uh, a spokesperson for the CDC noted that information on whether a county's COVID-19 transmission risk meets the CDC's threshold for the moratorium is available on its website, but some ad you know, some advocates pointed out that that tool isn't totally foolproof. The CDC has a map on its website tracking COVID-19 rates by county, which renters can use to find out if they qualify for the new moratorium. Already, some advocates have reported to me that the CDC map is incomplete and there are some areas that show up as, quote, gray, no data zones, close quote, so one question is going to be what happens in those jurisdictions? Uh, and this is according to Eric Dunn, director of litigation at the National Housing Law Project. Uh, this is a case that uh, popped up on Friday for the bor borough of Valdez Cordova in Alaska, for example. Putting the onus on tenant tenants, advocates say, create significant challenges to begin with. 
adding to their struggles to the fact that uh, few renters manage to retain legal representatives before they head to eviction proceedings. Uh, you know, so, you know, they, there are a lot of, of these loopholes um, that you know, still remain under the new rules. Uh, even this, this county guidance rule, uh, you know, doesn't, at least in the readings that I've seen, doesn't detail what happens to a designated uh, zone if the COVID rate falls, you know, well below the CDC guideline. Does the moratorium immediately end? Uh, can landlords then cite the fact that the county's no longer under the CDC defined status of, of being a critical need uh, location? Therefore, they have the right to resume eviction processes for those tenants that haven't paid their rent. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there are, there are you know, just a, a lot of issues uh, in this gnarly little problem that you know it it doesn't look like the the remedies proposed uh either by the cdc or those perhaps under consideration by the federal government uh go far enough now again to be fair uh it it is a, a practical impossibility to anticipate every single variant uh no pun intended um of you know a scenario that might impact this how however uh it is clear at least again from my cursory reading of what's come out about the cdc policy that you know there there are enough of these loopholes and that they are large enough for landlords to move through with you know some relative ease um you know it like most things with covid19 uh, it, it is, you know, new territory. It's new ground. It's not something that we have, you know, been through in, in any similar fashion uh, in in the recent past. And you know, it it's it's clear that there's a lot of work still to be done. Um, the article goes on to cite a few examples. So you know, if a tenant could live in a county with low enough transmission so that the moratorium doesn't apply, they could face eviction, as I just said. But the next county over could have a higher transmission. The tenant could then be forced from their home and have to move in with a family in a county over where their risk of catching the virus is greater, defeating the purpose of the moratorium in the first place. So, you know, and it, it continues, a tenant could be evicted because he or she doesn't qualify given her county's COVID situation one week, only for the situation to get worse a week later. And we have seen this occur with the Delta variant where infection rates have you know, gone up by 50, 60 percent in the span of you know, one, two, three weeks uh, to where that county might now qualify under. So, you know, these evictions and the reasonings behind them become very much a moving target, something we need to make sure that, you know, is, is addressed. Um, you know, and, you know, it's not to say that this isn't something that's going to be challenged. Um, you know, the, the argument was brought up to the Supreme Court uh, back in June. Uh, however, they held off in taking a challenge 
to the CDC's prohibition, with justices citing the moratorium's impending end date as their main reason. But the court warned that if the moratorium were extended again, that might not be the case. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's still something where the Biden administration is going to need to keep an eye on the position of the court and, you know, is is you know pretty much a, you know, uh, as I said, a moving target that they're going to have to keep track of. So in, in fairness, though, the Biden administration does appear to be aware of that risk. The White House has suggested the new moratorium is meant to buy time for tenants to receive the billions of dollars in emergency rental assistance that's still outstanding months after it was appropriated by Congress. And, you know, and consumer advocates, while critical of how the measure was designed, do believe that the moratorium serves a purpose. At the end of the day, it will keep millions of renters stably housed. And we are deeply appreciative of that, given the rise in the Delta variant and the fact that state and local governments just haven't spent down their emergency rental assistance money quick enough. So, you know, uh, again, an ongoing and developing uh, issue related to uh, the politics of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we will keep you posted and we will keep you up to date. All right, let's um, let's turn let's turn a new page here. Let let's talk about something uh, relatively different. So, uh, un- unless you've been, you know, in a spaceship orbiting a planet the far side of the galaxy for the last, you know, year two years, um, the concept of what went on in Washington D.C. on January sixth may be somewhat foreign to you. But uh, the 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 boiled down version of it is that there was a protest that occurred uh, in Washington that led to a march on the Capitol building and, you know, a an unlawful breaking and entering by, you know, hundreds of protesters into the Capitol and destruction and so on and so forth, collectively known as the January 6th insurrection. Um, you know, obviously there's an, there's an ongoing investigation that is happening in Congress regarding it and news is coming out daily on new revelations. Uh, but that is not the end of what, you know, potentially could be, uh, an article that, um, showed up on the radar, uh, sites. And and this is according to, uh, Mary Poppenfuss. And, you know, says, quote, we're going back to the Capitol. And that's citation when ex Trump campaign official announces huge protest. So, you know, the 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 spokesperson, uh, Matt Brainerd, told former White House strategist Steve Bannon as he announced the rally on Bannon's podcast last week. Uh, The protest, uh, entitled, quote, Justice for J6, close quote, has been set for September 18th at the Capitol. It's being orchestrated by the group Look Ahead America, which is hosted by this Matt Brainard individual. 
And he quotes is or is quoted as saying, as we continue to raise the profiles of these individuals who have been arrested, it makes it harder and harder for the left's phony narrative about the insurrection to stick, Brainard told Bannon. We're going to push back on the phony narrative that was an insurrection. Despite multiple dramatic videos of scenes to the contrary, Brainard told Bannon the crowd that day was, quote, largely peaceful, close quote, and simply egged on, in many cases, by the Capitol Police, close quote. Brainard promised that, quote, high-profile speakers, including members of Congress, would attend the rally. He declined to reveal their identities to Huffington Post until confirmed. Uh, one person who met with uh, former President Trump on Saturday at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, mentioned a, quote, rally uh, by a, quote, little bit of a special group, though it wasn't clear if the person was referring to the new Justice for J6 protest. Representative Madison Cawthorn, a Republican out of North Carolina, posted and then deleted a clip of that comment a day after former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows announced that former President Trump was meeting with, quote, his cabinet members, close quote, apparently as part of some imagined parallel presidency to make real plans for the future. Uh, Trump, of course, uh, is no longer president and has no real cabinet. Brainerd told the Huffington Post that he was unaware of that meeting uh, or the video. He later clarified that the, quote, rally mentioned in the clip had nothing to do with his. So it's, it's clear that, uh, you know, there's something going on. Brainerd has said he has already obtained permission from the rally from the Metropolitan Police Department pending final checks the day of the protest. An MPD spokesperson would not confirm to Huff Huffington Post that a permit had been approved. A Capitol Police spokesperson said the department is aware of the rally but cannot discuss a permit or security plans. Uh, the, the rally is planned for the West Lawn of the Capitol where protesters moved on the building after Trump told them to go there and fight much harder. Brainard told Huff post that the that his rally is only in support of nonviolent capital protesters uh, that includes Ashley Babbitt who crawled through a broken window in a barricaded door to get to members of Congress as a mob riot a mob of rioters yelled let's go and F the blue a Capitol Police officer warned Babbitt to stop before he fatally shot her uh, Brainerd claimed that Babbitt had been, quote, executed. Uh, the officer who shot her has been cleared of any wrongdoing. Uh, he said the rally will focus on arrests linked to the January 6th storming of the Capitol and will discourage protesters from holding signs about any election or candidates and will also discourage the use of, quote, MAGA gear, uh, close quote, Ask if his group has been active in behalf of any peaceful political prisoners arrested at Black Lives Matter protests. He said, I don't know anything about that. Uh, amid talks of pro coming protest and former President Trump's, quote, reinstatement, security officials fear a repeat of the Capitol insurrection or even more severe domestic terrorism. So 
you know, it, it's it's clear that something may happen, um, you know, in on September 18th. We don't know for sure. We'll probably just have to uh, stay tuned and, and keep an eye on our on our information feeds to see what transpires, um, you know, and it, it just is is another piece in line with such claims that are being made by, you know, Trump supporters uh, such as Mike Lindell, uh, who, you know, initially had said the president would somehow be reinstated to the White House in mid-August. Uh, he revised that prediction in an interview with a far-right wing radio program last week, claiming instead that Trump will present, quote, proof next month to the Supreme Court that the election, the elect, the election was, quote, stolen by the Chinese. No credible evidence has yet emerged to support this. Uh, you know, but yet, you know, Mike Lindell believes that after Trump makes his case, the court could decide to do to order an election do over. Maybe that's a thing, he added. I, I don't know. I mean, could there be another protest? Yeah, there could be. Uh, could it be as violent as January 6th? Yeah, that's a possibility, too. Um, you know, is is former President Trump going to be reinstated uh, to the presidency? Very highly unlikely. There is no legal description for a process to do that in our Constitution, in any of the the laws or canons that descend from our Constitution. There's no mechanism for that to happen legally. Um, you know, so we we will see. Uh, you know, the August deadline will be approaching soon. Then we'll see what happens, you know, later on. Did the Chinese uh, steal the election? I don't know. But nonetheless, you know, it, it warrants our continued attention and our continued vigilance, uh, regardless of which side of the argument you're on, that we need to make sure that our elected officials do what's best for the country, for the Constitution, and for the people, and, and not for any one particular individual uh, at all. So, you know, call to action there as always. Uh, stay tuned, stay vigilant, keep doing your research, dig wider, dig deeper, uh, keep going after the facts, listen to multiple sources. That's the only way you can be reasonably assured that you're getting uh, a picture that more accurately defines what the truth is. So that's what we're about on this show. And as always, I appreciate your comments and feedback. Send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Let me know what you think. Uh, it, could President, former President Trump be reinstated? Uh, is there, you know, uh, some means by which uh, that might happen. You know, what's going to happen with the moratorium? You know, is the Lambda variant something that is, is going to you know, send us into a fifth wave of COVID? You know, all of these are open questions, open for discussion. Uh, and I, I encourage and ask that you bring the discussion right here to Fired Up Radio on WJMSRadio.com where radio is reimagined. That's going to do it for this week's show, everybody. As always, I greatly appreciate your tuning in. Please do everything you can to stay safe, and I look forward to speaking to all of you again in seven days.
If you hear this message, wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.